And welcome to uh, the Mainland Podcast, episode 17. Michael Citro here, the managing editor of TheMainland.com. Joining me this week, a very jam-packed week as our fixtures start to fill up the uh, the calendar. Uh, with me, Austin David and Kevin Mercer. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. Fantastic. Awesome. So, the first thing we have to talk about, of course, is Orlando City finally getting over the hump against D.C. United. 1-0 win on Sunday. A penalty kick denied by Bill Hamid, who pretty much denies everything. But the rebound comes right back to Kaká. He heads it in. 1-0. The back line plays great down the stretch. Uh, just clearing everything out that they can get their hands and heads on, or feet and heads on. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the good guys hold on for uh, a much-needed three points, climb to third in the table. Austin, what were your uh, overall thoughts on the game? Uh, yay. Uh, that was my first, I mean, it was kind of a, what's a good word for it? Uh, a relieved sigh after the, the whistle blew just cause of the way the game was going towards the, you know, the last 20 minutes or so. Uh, you know, DC United obviously is a very good team. Uh, there was a lot of kind of expectations for this game because Orlando city had lost the last two, um, you know, Kaká said in, in training sessions before, this is a big game for us. We want to win. We want to avenge the two losses. And, you know, it's a statement win for us, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, the although Kaká probably had one of his worst games as, in an Orlando City uniform, the fact that Orlando City was able to pull out the win with Kaká having a bad game says a lot about where the team is currently. And, you know, five weeks ago, you know, and, and Adrian Heath touched on this in his press conference, you know, five weeks ago, you, you couldn't say that. If Kaká had a bad game, Orlando City was probably losing. But the fact that everyone was able to step up on the defensive end as well as the offensive end uh, says a lot about where the team is, is currently and where the team is headed over the next few weeks. Yeah, and you know, you always want to measure yourself against the best in the game, and uh, obviously D.C. United won the Eastern Conference last year in the regular season, and they are the leaders of the conference again this year, so you know, you have to measure yourself against that type of competition. Kevin, what did you see as the, the real kind of deciding uh, battle or deciding factor of the game? I think the deciding factor is maturity. Um I think, and, and Austin touched on it, like 20 minutes to go in the game, you kind of saw the, the, the tide shifting, and D.C. took a lot of the possession. They took a lot of the energy in the game, and I felt like Orlando was on the back foot a little bit in that, in that period. But I think the difference in this game was experience and maturity. Uh, that team starting to kind of, kind of finally come together and gel like we've been looking for, and you see a team that's able to stifle no matter how, you know, uh, how well uh, DC attacked, we stifled the attack the entire time. We saw the back line really step up in that period um, of the game. And I think that was sort of the decisive fact. I think Colin was fantastic. Um, you know, Bowden, um, I've been critical of Bowden on defense a little bit, and I thought he was really good on defense. Um, and, I, you know, and, and, and St. Ledger, you know, uh, got a, a team of the week evidently today as well. So certainly the, the back line stood up and really uh, took command of that game when Five five weeks ago, that probably would have been a game we probably would have lost or tied one one or something like that. You know, kind of they would have come back on us, and that's what they've done in the past. So you really saw that kind of come together. That was a decisive factor for me, I think. 
All right, so obviously the, the talking points of this game uh, obviously are going to be the penalty kick. Uh, should it have been a penalty? And also, you know, the uh, down the stretch, uh, Orlando City basically parking the bus, saying, "Okay, you're going to press us high. You're going to, you're going to, we're going to concede possession, and we're going to try to spring uh, Carlos Rivas for a, uh, you know, a clinching goal." Um, let's start with you, Austin. Was it a penalty for you? Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's much of a question about it. The, I think most people are, are saying, oh, how did a, a big guy like uh, Ribeiro, six foot three, go down so easily? But the fact of the matter is Taylor Kemp kind of jumped into him. Uh, yeah, he came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> that's one way of putting it. But, yeah, it's, uh, you, you can't do that. Whether, whether, whether Ribeiro, uh, you know, kind of sold it a bit, uh, or that he jumped and then Kemp jumped into him and that's why he fell down. It's it's still not allowed. You know, no matter how what, what kind of spin you put on it, it's still uh, a foul in the box and it's a penalty. Right. Kevin, yeah, I'm 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 exactly with Austin the same way. I I looked at it a couple times and um, I had to look at it first to wonder uh, how him he stopped his first shot. I thought it was a fantastic save on that shot uh, first of mm-hmm. all. And then going to the foul, I, you know, you look at you look at it, and Pedro wasn't looking up. He didn't know he was, you know, he didn't know Kemp was flying in at him. And I think that kind of defines it for me as well. That you know, you you've got to kind of know what's happening to you to, to take a dive. Or it didn't look like a dive to me. I'm a big guy. I'm six foot three, and uh, if anyone flies into me, I'm still gonna I'm still gonna stumble a little bit at that point too. So yeah, I, I think it was definitely a, definitely a penalty. Yeah, and it's not like Kemp is like some midget that should just bounce off of him, right? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> he came running in and in- inexplicably jumped in the air and landed on Ribeiro from basically the side, but maybe a little behind as well. And, you know, people will say, well, what, would you think that was a penalty if it, it was Orlando City? And Yeah, and I think it was a penalty on Darwin Saren a few weeks ago when he did basically the same thing uh, at San Jose. So, um, yeah, I'm in agreement with both of you. I thought it was a pretty clear penalty. That's going to be a foul anywhere on the field, and if it's a foul anywhere on the field, in my opinion, it should be a foul in the box, which is a penalty. So, um, sorry, DC United fans, uh, you're not getting any sympathy from us. Adrian Healy uh, tweeted out that he thought it was a a soft penalty, but um, there was a, a writer, and I, his name escapes me right off the top of my head, uh, for uh, MLSsoccer.com today that had was talking about how it was a very clear-cut penalty. So. You know, everybody sees the game differently, but I think basically if you don't want a penalty called on you, don't go running and then jumping into somebody from uh, well, and the side. Especially the guy who's got his back to the goal. I mean, he's not right. attacking the goal at that point. Really, there's no need to, you know, if, if you're going to run in and jump, run and jump right behind him to kind of protect the goal, and uh, I wouldn't have worried about the, the ball at that point. So, Yeah, it was a silly foul. Silly foul. So, uh, Kaka, we talked about, uh, we had Wade weigh in on the, some analysis earlier in the year about Kaká's penalties and how uh, they were, he was leaving them a little close to the keeper. And uh, you don't even have to leave him close to Bill Hamid for him to stop him. But uh, he did leave that one a little close. It wasn't a great penalty, but he did have enough power on it that Hamid couldn't control the rebound. And uh, luckily it bounced right back to the Brazilian. And the captain nodded her home for the only goal of the game. I'm really surprised there was only one goal in this game because it looked like Orlando was getting a lot of decent chances, decent looks, and they just, again, were having a little bit of problem with the the final ball. There was one where Breckshade just barely lost control of it out of bounds uh, over the end line. Uh, 
Um, there was Ribeiro turning and shooting. Uh, Hamid making a great save on that. There was, Ribeiro had a couple decent looks and you know some shots from distance. Kaká forced a, a diving stop by Hamid. Uh, so I thought there was going to be more goals in the game. I certainly thought DC would score at some point with a Spindola and uh, Jairo Arrieta up top. What did you think, Kevin, about DC's tactics and and how they approach the game? Obviously, their their main thing is to is to crowd Kaká and not let him create, uh, which opened up the width. And, and Adrian Heath, I thought, did a nice masterful job of pinching his uh, wings inside to allow more uh, room down the down the sidelines for his uh, fullbacks. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was the heat this time or what, but I thought D.C. did not look like the team that we played the first two games. Um, they looked, again, in the end, they looked a little bit more dangerous. But besides the one of Spindler's shot, I was never really, really nervous about conceding a goal to them. And, and I'm not sure if it was uh, overconfidence after beating us twice, um, I'm not sure if it was, I'm not sure what it was, but, and, and this is a game that I think I need to go back and watch again, because I was nervous throughout most of it. And I was at the stadium, so I, I'm looking forward to the MLS Live uh, coming out of its uh, quarantine, I think tomorrow, and I can actually watch the game again, because I'm, I'm curious to see some of the things that happened, because it did not seem like DC was really as uh, as venomous as they have been in the past two games we played them, so... Yeah, fair enough, and uh, they certainly weren't as... I took some of that to be the fact that I thought that, that Lewis Neal and Chris Nagita played really well in the middle and, and really bottled up them trying to build any offense. In the second half, they were playing a lot of long balls and, and bypassing the midfield, playing more directly to to the uh, forwards. Um, what did you think, uh, Austin? I want to get your opinion on Davey Arno's barking all night. Um like a chihuahua. I mean, I think he could have easily earned three or four yellow cards last night. Yeah. Um, especially on that penalty call, he, uh, he, he said some, he, he called Pedro Barro a few, a few names, uh, a diving something rather, uh, that I don't mm. think I can repeat on this podcast here, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of surprised he was, he was chirping so much at the ref and that he wasn't penalized for it. Um, but you know, I mean, he is kind of a, a veteran, so maybe that that has something to do with it. Um, you know, maybe him and the ref have some history. Who knows? But uh, you know, I, the result kind of speaks for itself. One nil, Orlando City. So I'm not going to complain too much about what <laughs> Davy Arno did and didn't do because the result went in, went in our favor. So, well, here's yeah. the thing, and and I'm not. I wasn't one of the players preparing to play in that game. But even I, as a blogger, took the time to look up this referee and saw that he had, I think, something like 46 career MLS games, to his credit. Mm -hmm. Had called 21 penalties in those games. So if you see that, you kind of know going in, you have to be a little bit careful in the box, right? Yeah, well, the thing is that the the referee, the you know, the main referee wasn't the one who necessarily called the the penalty. The 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 you know, the line judge raised his flag and and waved it about when Ribeiro went down and you know, because of that, I think the the ref called the penalty. I don't think it was necessary uh just on, you know, the main ref. I think it was just kind of on his team in general. Uh but yeah, it, you know, even so, you you know, as the main ref, you have the decision to, you know, to make that call or not. So mm -hmm. that yeah, that's well, I'd like, that I'd like to see that again actually because I, I 
I didn't actually see the AR, but I I didn't also notice a lot of hesitation on the referee's part to point to the spot. I thought he pointed pretty quickly. It, yeah, it was it was definitely very quick, but uh, you know there was there was a good second or two after you know the, I mean, the ref was waving his flag about for two, a few seconds before you know he he wanted to make sure the ref he, he got the ref's attention, and then once he did, he put the flag down, and that was it. Yeah, but I think it's it's not. I mean, it's not uncommon for the the AR and the ref to see the same thing. So I mean, it's it's hard to say who actually was the uh, yeah. person who called it, but. Bottom line is, even though, like I said, if you see those statistics, you got to know going in that you have to be a little bit responsible in the box, uh, knowing that that, that is uh, a history of, of happening uh, with that particular referee. So um, one thing I did want to touch on is the shape, Kevin. I thought that, you know, I think it was announced as a, as a the typical 4-2-3-1, but it looked like a 4-4-2 and sometimes a 4-4-1-1 to me. Uh, Kaká was uh, roaming all over the field. He had a lot of freedom last night. Um, I, I think it was uh, a pretty open game from Orlando, and you really didn't know what to expect. It was kind of uh, it, it was kind of uh, all over the place. You didn't really know where they were going to attack you from. Well, I think that was uh, probably a lot to do with the fact that we played this team twice. We needed we needed to bring something new to the table. Um, I think you you still have the uh, you know Ramos and Bowden overlapping. Um, and, I, and I'll continue to say that um, Bowden does that best with Shea. I think we all kind of, I think the fans I've talked to all kind of agree on that, that, that that's best done with Shea and Bowden on the, on the left. Um, I think on the right, um, I'd like to see, I'd like to see something different on the right sometimes. I think Ramos does a, a decent job, but he needs that kind of experienced player like Shea to kind of maybe back him up a little bit. Um, mm. I know Neil helped a little bit on that this week, um, among other people, but um, yeah, and I, but I, and I also thought it was very interesting. Kaká had a bad game, although he seemed to be kind of all over the field at the same time. And I, I'm not sure he had an awful game, but I think that he he wasn't as effective as I think he wanted to be. You could tell that. I certainly you could tell that. He had some mm-hmm. really, really rough touches. Um, but at, I think at one point he was our only striker. Um, at one point during their uh, 20 minutes of um, – of the onslaught on our goal, they were uh, I only saw Kaká up top, but then I saw him come back and get the ball every once in a while too, kind of in almost like a Wayne Rooney kind of style. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a very interesting um, shape, but I think that you're seeing Heath learning the MLS systems and the fact that scouting is and scouting in MLS is so much better than it's going to be in USL always. Mm-hmm. And I think you're seeing um, the fact that we're going to have to change things up a little bit and kind of be a little bit more surprising than maybe we were in the past. So. All right, and I take it from your earlier comments that Colin was your man of the match? Definitely, yeah. I think that was, the, the, I mean, just so many, I guess maybe for the, the, the strong tackles that just really just kind of ended any hope of a, a, a DC attack on a number of levels. So, yeah, I, I thought a lot of players had good games, though, but I think uh, Colin was my player of the match, definitely. All right, Austin, your man of the match? My man of the match, I think, was probably Luke Bowden. Um my reasoning for that is just the way that Orlando City kind of shaped in, in uh, you know, in this game with Breckshay tucking in a bit more. It allowed Bowden to have a bit more freedom on that left-hand side, and you know he really exploited that, um, you know, getting good crosses in and, and kind of playing the ball well uh, with Breck. Although Breck wasn't quite able to open up as much as he would probably like to. Uh, I think that left side in general is really developing well. 
uh, with Kakao when he comes over there to help out with Breck and Bods. Um, you know, I think that's going to be something going forward that Orlando City will kind of uh, try and you know, use to their advantage more often. Uh, although, you know, Rafael Ramos uh, is is a very good player and they, you know, DC United had to use three different players to try and contain him during the game. Um, I think they're really missing Kevin Molino on that right-hand side. Uh, Avila's not quite uh, what they need down there. He's more of a defensive-minded player, I think. Uh, you know, I think with Molino back next year uh, and having Breckenbods with Kaká, all that together, I think that'll make for a very potent attack. But as far as this year goes, I think that left-hand side with Breck and Bods will do very well. All right, uh, I will say Colin as well. He was he was my man of the match. I thought he played really well. A couple things that, that um, we don't really have time to get into before we move into our next segment, but I wanted to bring up, I thought there were a lot of times when guys just flat-out missed Breck Shea, who was wide open on the left yes. side calling for the ball. Uh, it would be nice to see. Hopefully those guys will get that film. They'll see it, and they'll be able to recognize it and look for it in the future because, man, he could have had at least three breakaways that I counted. Um, and then Ramos on the right side, I would like to see him use his speed a little more, trust that speed, because I think there were a few times where he pulled back where he could have got to the end line and actually got around the corner. So uh, there's a couple things that I, I just wanted to bring up. Yeah, I think Ramos needs to learn to, learn a little, not learn to, but maybe be more confident taking players on. He seems to to always pass before taking a player on. He won't always take him, try, try to take him one-on-one sometimes. I think I'd like to see him do that more. Mm-hmm. All right, so well, let's move on to the Wednesday game. We do have a Wednesday game, and it's not an MLS game. We, uh, we're going to have our first game in the U.S. Open Cup, the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup 2015 edition, and uh, as the first one is an MLS team, and we get to start off with our old friends, Charleston Battery. And for some unknown reason, uh, we're going to Charleston, whereas if... Charleston would have lost. Fort Lauderdale would have come to Orlando. I'm not really sure why it was an either-or situation. Usually, you just draw the home field for whoever wins. But nevertheless, it's a road game to start the U.S. Open Cup against Charleston. We're going to hear uh, bring in a guest who who knows a little bit more about Charleston here in just a bit. But uh, Kevin, I, I'm glad you're on this week because I, I, you know you've been talking a lot about the U.S. Open Cup, and I think it's very important that. Uh, Orlando City fans realize the importance of this and the prestige of this tournament. Definitely, yeah. I mean, one of my, the first article was definitely about how old this cup is, um, and you know, and you always have some debate about what the oldest cup is, and you know, this this cup has had different names over the years, including the National Challenge Cup was what it was first called. Um, but yeah, this this cup's been around since 1914, which makes it one of the oldest cups in the uh, in, in on the globe, and I, and I. If my study is right, if my, if my research is right, it's the oldest outside of the British Empire. So you had some cups in Hong Kong, New Zealand, and Canada, for example, earlier. Um, and, of course, the British Isles. But, yeah, so this is one of the oldest cups in the world. So I think that makes it exciting in its own sense that we think about U.S. soccer history and kind of its lack of history we might have. And it's kind of uh, feeling like we're a little inadequate nas- or internationally. Um, but we actually have a very, very rich history of this cup. And this cup itself, I always, um, I would say, to, to tell uh, our, our uh, viewers and listeners uh, to go and look at some of the teams that have won this in the past. There's some great history there. Um, a lot of immigrant teams, a lot of, um, uh, you know, the, the one that's won the most is Bethlehem Steel, which is uh, from Pennsylvania. 
they've won it five times, and um, it's a fantastic story there. With uh, it ties into the uh, U.S. national team's first games and things like that as well. So it's a great cup, and I really think it's uh, besides its traditions, I think it's also a great opportunity for us to win a cup this year as well. So. And the great thing about this competition is the winner is gets an automatic berth in CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, so, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's some incentive there. Uh, there's also another um, award that the, the minor league, you know, the lower levels are trying to aim for, and that's the lower level team that, that advances the furthest number of rounds uh, gets a big cash bonus, and that's huge for those smaller teams. Definitely. So... Um, you know, think about it this way. You know, England's got the FA Cup, and this is sort of our version of the FA Cup. And you, it doesn't get the publicity that the FA Cup does, obviously, but it's still a prestigious tournament, and it's a trophy that you know is important to go for. Now, you, you hear every MLS coach say, you know, we're going to take this seriously. We want to win it. It's very important to us. And then they go out on the night of the game and they play all the reserve players. So Austin. Are we going to see lip service? Uh, you know, are we going to are we going to see Adrian Heath, you know, put his money where his mouth is and, and pick a side that is, uh, you know, very very strong side, or are we going to see Harrison Heath starting? I mean, <laughs> or and Tyler Turner? I mean, what what are we going to see on Wednesday? Well, um, you know, I, I actually asked uh, Coach Heath about this in the press conference. Uh, funny enough, uh, and he the first you know I asked him. What you know? What are you going to do in terms of roster? He said, first thing, we want to win. You know, we want to put the best side out there. However, uh, anyone who <laughs> anyone who's uh, who has a knock or injury or anything, they will not play, whether ho- however minor it may be. So that's that's kind of a, a way for Heath to kind of skirt around the question, basically saying, we want to win, and we'll put our best side out there, but there might be some injuries that you guys don't know about, and. I might have to play some reserves kind of thing. Right. So, <laughs> but, but, you know, the thing, the thing is a lot of our guys, even on the bench and on the reserves, they're still good quality players, you know, and a lot of those guys have USL uh, time that they've spent, you know, like Tyler Turner, like Tommy Redding, uh, like Estrella who might be coming back. Uh, some of those guys who you might see against Charleston, they've you know they've played in USL before, so it's not like they're you know it's it's not quite the step up that MLS is. So that that might be a good time for some of those guys who have been wanting and probably deserving time to play uh, to be able to get some time and possibly you know advance them into the US Open Cup uh, you know, the next round. All right, well you know what uh, somebody who can tell us a little bit more about our U.S. Open Cup opponents uh, is coming right up, so why don't we uh, zip up this segment and get to our guest. All right, joining us now on the Mainland Podcast is Carson Merck. He is the Charleston Battery writer for Dynamo Theory, our fellow SB Nation blog. Carson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So this whole U.S. Open Cup thing, um, obviously Orlando City has a little bit of a history with Charleston having been in USL for four years. Um, big game in Blackbaud Stadium on Wednesday night. Uh, it's the first U.S. Open Cup game of the year for Orlando City, but it is uh, number three for Charleston, and they've already uh, disposed of two Florida teams. they got to be probably feeling pretty confident. 
uh, playing another team from Florida. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a good luck charm. I guess I'm hoping there's more Florida teams ahead of us after we beat Orlando City on Wednesday. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's been some turnover every year. There's some turnover in soccer teams, and some of our fans that have come on board since the MLS jump uh, may not be that familiar with Charleston. Uh, who are some of the players that maybe they should be watching out for on Wednesday? Yeah, some of the players to watch, there's actually, it's easy to identify there's three Cuban players, and the three Cuban players are three of the, the higher-level guys on the club. Um, aside from them, Dane Kelly is also the guy. He's probably the number one guy to watch out for. He's a striker, a Jamaican striker. Um, mm-hmm. And the three Cuban players are... Um, Michael Chang, he's a midfielder, and for a while he was leading the USL in assists. He, this is his second year with the club, and last year it was kind of a feeling-out process for him. He was kind of banged up with injury, but he's, he's very creative in the midfield. And then the other the Cuban forward is um, Javier Cordovez, and he's a, they're, him and Dane Keller are both big, strong guys that provide great pace up front, so that's a a tough combo to deal with and they depending on the match sometimes Kelly starts and Cordova's um, subs in late sometimes it's vice versa sometimes they both start which rarely happens and then the third Cuban is Adesnel Cooper also known as El Gato who is the goalkeeper and he is one I think one clean sheet away from the all-time USL record for clean sheets. Wow well uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Charleston's season so far? How are they doing in USL play? Yeah, they started out undefeated for for a while, and it was it was one of those runs where there was games that didn't seem like they were going to end up with a favorable result, but they ended up you know pulling it out. So it felt like one of those like I was being from Northeast Ohio, I was around for the Indians in '95, where there were these extra inning crazy games, and so there were a couple games where I was like, oh, you know, here's the Here's the end of the unbeaten streak, and then somehow you know they'd find a late equalizer and, and draw. So they're strong. They're they were they're kind of hovering in that second to third range in the Eastern Conference. But they have had a couple guys banged up, but overall they've been relatively healthy for as as many games as they've had to play in a very short amount of time with the USL matches as well as the Open Cup. Well, Carson, tell me a little bit about the. Uh... The formation and the preferred tactics of the team are they are they a team that changes a lot or do they do they have one preferred formation that they like to stick with and, and that kind of thing? How do they like to play? They they do it, it. It's hard to it's they've had the same coach. Mike Anheuser has been the coach for for years in Charleston and he is relatively standard, but he he does he does change it up so it's almost a fluid formation. There's there's a lot of guys in different spots. You'll see. A guy like Justin Portillo, which is he'll be you know in the in an attacking role, but then you'll find him you know either later in the half he'll be a defensive mid. So it's a lot of it's a lot of free moving guys. There's a lot of very versatile players in Charleston, so they're able to not be pigeonholed into one area. So they're able, that's what makes them very hard to stop offensively. Are they more a possession team, a counterattack team, a high pressing team? What do they like to do to the opponent? They they have very good pressure from the midfielders, so I think that if I could pid, say one very strong power of the team is it, it, their their pressure on the midfield. But it I I would say more of a counterattack team, but they they do like to possess the ball. But a lot of the goals come on on long through balls from 
either Michael Chang or one of the other midfielders to a guy like Cordovez or Dane Kelly because they have that, you know, elusive speed and they can, you know, just blow teams away with their pace so they can, you know, fire one up. So they like to possess it, but a lot of it does come off, I would say, long throughs, kind of a counterattack, kind of a situation. Orlando City nursing a few injuries. Uh, Kevin Molino is out for the season with an ACL. Uh, we've got a, a problem with um, uh, Martin Patterson's knee. Are there any key injuries right now for for Charleston that will keep a key player out of this match on Wednesday? I would I would say at this point in the season, obviously, like you said, every team has injuries at this point. But the only main injury right now is Quentin Griffith is a defender, and he's coming back from knee surgery, so he will still be out. He's a He's a strong defensive player, so that obviously is a loss, but he's been out for a long enough time where they've established their back line, so it's not going to be a surprising loss, I guess to say. So these two teams met in the preseason, sort of. Um, Rain-shortened, weather-shortened game, I think it went about 26, 28 minutes, something like that, and um, it was a 1-1 draw. Is there anything that these teams learned about each other way back then that, that actually they can take forward and use in this game on Wednesday, do you think? I, I don't think so. Like you said, it was, it was very weather-shortened. It was one of the shorter matches I think anybody's played in any any cup match this year. So I don't think so. I mean, maybe there's there's some familiarity just, you know, kind of a, it kind of, I guess, got rid of that feeling out process that you see at a lot of the beginning of games where, you know, you're kind of moving the ball back and forth, trying to change the pitch, and I think so. Maybe a little bit of that would be would be gone because of you know playing the previous match, but I don't think there's any strategical uh, secrets that are out of the bag. Well, you know that these two coaches know each other pretty well over the years, uh, having coached against each other and, and faced each other quite a, a few times. Um, the fans obviously know each other a bit as well. I know there's a contingent of fans uh, on the way to Charleston, probably some of them as we speak, and it, it should be a, a good crowd, a pretty vocal, uh, crazy atmosphere. Is is what does Blackbaud Stadium hold, and are they expecting a sellout for this match? I, I would assume they're they're expecting close to a sellout. I'm not sure exactly of the capacity, but Blackbaud for anybody who is either traveling there now or is going to travel there. It's it's very cool. It's a, it's a very um, older stadium. It actually, other before even the Columbus Crew Stadium, was the first soccer-specific stadium in the United States. So that, you know, takes you back. But, yeah, it's a, it's just a it's a cool place to be. And they got, you know, the crowd over there, supporters groups over there are, are great. Um, so I think, yeah, it should, be, it should be close to a packed house. And anytime you can hassle, Kaka is always a good time. <laughs> now, speaking of that, we're really not sure what we're going to see Adrian Heath trot out as far as a lineup on Wednesday. He did mention after the game Sunday after the win over D.C. United, he said that he wants to win U.S. Open Cup. He wants to be competitive and field a good team. He, but the caveat was if anybody's got any kind of a knock, they're probably not going to play because there's a very crowded fixture. This will be the second game out of four in 11 days for sure. Orlando City, and it's it's a very, very crowded fixture right now. If Orlando City could trot out somewhat of their regular lineup, I know that Charleston won't be necessarily uh, intimidated by that, but how does a USL team go about, you know, kind of balancing that, we're not really in awe of you, 
but we know who you are and we kind of have right. that respect for you. How, how do they balance that and, and just focus on the task, do you think? I, I, I think it, in, in your head you have to say, you know, I understand the level of greatness, obviously, you know, with any of those guys' track records, but I think you have to just look at them as a number to say, hey, you know, that's number 10. Don't don't get caught up in, in overthinking it. I think you just have to say, hey, you know, we, we drew with these guys before, you know, twenty some minutes, but you know, nevertheless, we we can be on be on the field with these guys. Don't. Uh, it's not like the little giants where you went out there and they were intimidated. So, I think you just you just have to just play play your game and you know whatever the other team throws out there, you just got to deal with it at the time. Uh, do you have any sense of history of what Charleston has done in the past against um, MLS clubs? Um, I I am not very familiar with what their record is against MLS clubs. I know they made. I want to say they made the finals one year of the U.S. Open Cup, but I could be wrong in saying that. But I don't, I'd, I'd rather be wrong in giving us more credit than we deserve than less credit. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, Wednesday night, uh, I don't know what the weather's going to be like. I hope it's better than the last trip Orlando City took up there. Uh, we certainly don't want a, a waterlogged pitch uh, kind of ruining the game. We don't want the weather to be the story. We want the, the story to be the soccer game. Um, how do you see this thing playing out, uh, in your opinion? Um, if I have to give a prediction, I will say a very biased 2-1 win for the Charleston Battery. And I'll say goals from Dane Kelly and Justin Portillo. So I, I think they have, there's not a lot of, Obviously, it's it's a different level of soccer. Everybody knows that USL MLS. It's 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 just flat out. It's just you know, it's two different animals. But mm-hmm. I think they have certain players that are physically talented enough. Like Dane Kelly, I I would be very surprised if Dane Kelly is not on an MLS club next year with the speed he provides and with the you know just beautiful touches around the goal. So I think they have whether the whole team has the same talent level as, as an MLS club. I think there are certain players that do have that level, and then the team is such a cohesive unit that that is able to mask whatever lack of talent or comparative lack of talent that they have. Well, we've seen the USL is a very good league. Obviously, here in Orlando, we're well acquainted with that, um, having uh, won three regular season championships and two playoff championships. Uh, We've seen quite a bit of USL action here, and, and half a dozen of those players continued on in MLS with Orlando City. In fact, um, some of them are, are regular starters, guys like Rafael Ramos on the uh, our right back and uh, Darwin Saren, defensive mid, who won't be there because he's on international duty with El Salvador right now. Um, Kevin Molino, obviously, was a, a league MVP last year, and um, unfortunately he won't be able to take part. But uh, you know, several guys, you might see Tyler Turner, who was another guy who was uh, with Orlando City. Luke Bowden was with the, uh, the USL club for four years. And uh, Lewis Neal actually played in USL uh, the first year with Orlando City. So there's there's going to be a little bit of familiarity. I know that Adrian Heath is well aware of the, the talent level. I think where this game may be decided is in the depth department and maybe particularly late in the game uh, when substitutions come on. So it, it should be an interesting matchup and uh, certainly it's always fun to to kind of step out of your league and play in a game that it's like yeah the stakes are high but you know it's not going to count in the standings so it's right. you can kind of go for it kind of thing so you might see some things that you don't ordinarily see what I hope the fans in Charleston see is I hope they get to see Kaka I hope they get to see Breck Shea 
and I hope they get to see Aurelian Collin uh, on defense and Tally Hall in the goal. But being that this is a, a crowded fixture and some of those guys might be nursing some knocks, it's kind of up in the air as to what we're going to see. So we're really all speculating. I think what people need to do is tune in on Wednesday night on the It'll be on YouTube. I think I, I'm. It's, I know it's going to be on Orlando City's website, streamed live. I'm assuming uh, Charleston's YouTube uh, site, or they might actually have it on their yeah. their home page as well. So, that's uh, true. So it'll be it'll be great because uh, you know people that ordinarily wouldn't get to see it can can watch it. You know, it's not going to be on your television, but you can watch your computer. That's that's like the new thing these days that yeah. people are doing. <laughs> the kids, kids are doing nowadays. Yeah, crazy kids. Well, Carson Merck, uh, Charleston Battery writer for Dynamo Theory, uh, thanks so much for uh, helping us get to know a little bit about uh, our next victim, I mean opponent. Right. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, good luck to you the rest of the season, and uh, hopefully we'll we'll visit with you again soon. Absolutely. Tell uh, Adrian Heath to just go ahead and tell Kaka and Breck Shea and all those guys that they don't have to play. Just, you know, rest up for the rest of the MLS season. <laughs> Will do. All right. Thanks, Carson. Thank you. All right, let's turn our attention to the second game of the week. Actually, the third game in seven days, Montreal Impact. It's a return visit to the scene of a 2-2 draw early in the season, although probably not the same stadium since uh, the first time up. They played in Olympic Stadium. They should be in Saputo, Stad Saputo uh, for this one. Um, and it'll be a very, very different-looking Orlando City team to play uh, Montreal this time around because... Uh, so many of the guys were on international duty or injured that first meeting that they could only dress like 15 guys in that in that match, and you know the uh, the goalkeeper is different. We're gonna have Tally Hall now. We didn't have him uh, the first time we played. It was Donovan Ricketts who he got chipped by uh, Jack McInerney. It was a very demoralizing goal, but it was kind of Pedro Ribeiro's coming out party. He and Kaká working well together, combining for the two goals. Uh, still Kaká's only goal in the run of play uh, on the season. Um, what do you see from Montreal, Austin? This is a team that is much improved over last season and uh, you know, carrying a lot of confidence because of their uh, run in CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, but they're a team that, that can be gotten even in their own building, aren't they? Yeah. Um, matter of fact, uh, I don't. this wasn't in their own building, but they just played New York City, the other expansion franchise, and lost 3-1. Um, and considering that New York is bottom of the table, uh, it kind of bodes well for, for us going into Montreal. Um, you know, we're, we're This time we're playing at Stade Saputo, which is not quite playing on 1970s AstroTurf, which would be a lot better. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of Montreal, I think... Uh, they can be good. They have Ignacio Piatti. They have a veteran Nigel Rio Coger, Jack Mack we've, that we've talked about before. Uh, some some good defensive guys who have been coming out of the woodworks. Donnie Toya, a former USL guy who actually played with Phoenix FC back when they were Phoenix FC, the Wolves. Uh, he's he's kind of been a, a very good uh, defensive stalwart uh, in the back, and um, you know they they have a they have a good lineup. Um, they they can surprise you if you take them too lightly, but I think Orlando has kind of learned at this point in their season in their season 
um, not to take anyone too lightly, and I think they'll 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 win very. I wouldn't say very handily. I, I'll say they'll win handily. Wow. Well, I didn't even ask for predictions yet, uh, Austin. Uh, Kevin, what concerns you about Montreal Impact? What concerns me about Montreal is while they do have some um, kind of uh, hit and miss games, certainly they should not have lost to uh, a team like New York. They also beat you know Columbus recently. They beat Vancouver recently, and of course they beat you know one of the good teams this year, Dallas. So um, you know, so they've got a good they've got a, a number of really good games recently, and I think that kind of MLS parity we always talk about kind of comes into play with a team like Montreal in that in any given night they've got a chance of winning. So certainly a dangerous team. They've shown us how good they can be at home, and uh, I think you always have to kind of respect the team at home no matter where you're playing. True. I guess the good thing is that Orlando City's actually been a pretty good road team this year. Um, the thing about Montreal, I think, is that they've got some really good pieces that just haven't seemed to quite put the whole thing together yet. Uh, I think there's some shakiness on the back line at times, um, which could be, you know, sort of certainly beneficial for a team like Orlando that sometimes can have trouble scoring. Uh, they do have uh, Laurent Simon, which is a, a good player. Uh, I don't recall that he played the first meeting uh, that we played against them. He's a very, very talented defender. Um, but they also have, uh, they've got a couple of weak links on the field. And, and I think that it's something that Orlando city, if they've got the legs under them still, uh, by that time, hopefully they can exploit and, and come away with at least a point on the road. Uh, it would hate to hate to ruin the momentum of, of what's been going on with the, the unbeaten streak. It's up to five now, uh, with, excuse me, three wins in that time, including the first back-to-back wins in team history, the Chicago and DC wins and which sure coincidentally also the first wins that the team has over an Eastern Conference opponent. So it'll be interesting. We we've seen the opponent, but we haven't really put our better players out there. So a lot of our better players out there. I know Breck Shea was gone for that game. Um, a number of guys were gone for that game and, and really a lot of like guys like Ty- Tyler Turner played in that game. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see uh, what happens up in Montreal as we Continue this quest here as the uh, first MLS season up to third in the table after Sunday's win over DC, and uh, looking for more. We're thirsty for more. That's that's how I look at it. So uh, I guess before we get on out of here, we'll uh, we'll get you guys' uh, predictions for both the Charleston Battery and in the midweek, and also for uh, the Montreal Impact. So Austin, we'll start with you. Your bold. Certain to be wrong predictions. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, for the Charleston game, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Orlando City victory. Um, I'm going to say... Hmm, trying to think who would actually be playing in this game. I'm going to say Lewis Neal scores, just, you know, for fun. And... Um, Hmm. Let's go with Danny Mwanga. Why not? Uh, they'll score, and Orlando City will give up a goal. Um, so that'll be 2-1. And then the Montreal game, I'm going to say 2-0 with Kaká scoring a penalty because, I mean, he seems to do it every game. So 
I'll go with him scoring a penalty and Kyle Laren scoring uh, from inside the 18. Always specific, Austin. Always specific. I try. Um, Kevin Mercer, let me have your certain-to-be-wrong bold predictions. <laughs> well, I think I'm going to disagree that uh, we give up a goal in Charleston. I think you have to think if we go in with any kind of strength in our lineup that we'll have a team that um, – that shuts them out. So I'm going to boldly predict 3 nothing. I think we're going to have a uh, continuation of our good form. I think we'll have a mildly strong lineup. Um, I think you'll certainly going to see some, some guys like Tyler Turner. Um, you could see Heath again, actually, I think, to, um, in that game as well. Um, I, difficult to predict who, who scores, but I'm going to predict that one guy who's not a starter scores. So one of the guys who's playing, who does not normally play, a Harrison Heath, a Mwanga, some of those guys – they're going to score this in this game um, against Montreal. Let's say three two. Let's say Orlando Orlando wins three two in a a wild shootout. Um, Kaká scores from open play. I'll, I'll say that one. And uh, mm. and Laren scores in Canada. There 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 you go. There's some good predictions there. <laughs> nice. Uh, all right. So I guess I have to predict too, even though I really hate this part of the show. Um, I do think that we're going to play some backups in Charleston. I think it's going to result in a closer game than what we'd like to see. And I'm going to say in a in a weird game, similar to what you just described against Montreal, I, I think a 3-2 Orlando City victory in Blackbaud Stadium in the midweek uh, with a couple of counterattack goals against maybe some younger defenders or you know lesser, lesser experienced defenders. Uh, when Adrian Heath says that if you have any kind of a knock whatsoever, you're not going to play, I hear in my head I'm giving Aurelian Colin the night off <laughs> and possibly Kaká and Brekshay as well. Um, as for the Saturday night game in Montreal, I do love the idea of uh, Kyle Laren scoring in Canada. Um, I think that's going to be a lower scoring game. I think that's going to be... I'm going to say it's going to be a 1-1 game. I, I just think that, that Orlando City sometimes has trouble scoring, and maybe the third game in, in seven days is probably a, a time on the road when you might have some trouble scoring. So I'm going to say 1-1, Piotti finds some magic for for the impact, and, and Orlando City scratches out a goal, and I don't know, maybe something weird happens, like they get a goal waved off as well, and we can all complain about it and say we should have won the game or something. So... Uh, again, the bold always certain to be wrong predictions uh, portion of the show. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I'm going to call this a podcast, and uh, we're going to, uh, first of all, tell everybody that, you know, if you like the mainland and you want to support us, and this is, you know, yeah, it's an ad. It's a little bit of an ad. Uh, you could buy a T-shirt, and we got some pretty cool T-shirts. Austin bought one. And uh, we got these cool Roar Lando t-shirts, which uh, are purple, and, and they'll fit right in in the Citrus Bowl crowd. And also we have uh, Mainland logo t-shirts, and you can you can find our shop on the front page. You have to scroll down a bit, but um, it's there, and they're, they're, they're reasonable, and uh, they'll, they'll help support the site. And if you would like to support this very podcast, write to us at themainland at gmail.com. It's T-H-E-M-A-N-E-L-A-N-D at gmail.com, and we will discuss how uh, we can help your business and uh, while you support our business. 
<laughs> so, uh, guys, I think uh, this is going to be a very full week. So I'm going to cut this off now so you can go get your rest and, uh, you know, be ready to go because there's, there's a lot to get to. And then next week we'll come back and we'll talk about these games and we'll talk about another midweek game next week against Colorado Rapids. And then we'll be halfway through our first uh, ever MLS season. Sounds good. So, <laughs> so for uh, so for Kevin Mercer and Austin David, I'm Michael Citro saying, Go City. <laughs>